not only am I preaching Jonah the next four Wednesdays, but I'm doing the next two Sundays here at Joppa in the book of Haggai, which only has two chapters. So we're going to cover the entire book in the next two Sunday mornings, okay? So if you're excited about any kind of Old Testament prophet, you've got to come this Sunday and learn a little about Haggai. And if you were like, who's Haggai? Was that even in the Bible? <laughs> then come this Sunday and check it out. But right now we are in Jonah chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Let's read together. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amatiah, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid a fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest, and the ship was threatening to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and they each cried out to his own God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it up for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call to your God. Perhaps your God will give a thought to us so that we may not die. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. That casting lots would have been a pot or a clay jar. They would have marked stones and put the stones inside. They would have drawn out of it to see who was the one. And Jonah obviously pulls out the marked stone. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Verse 8, Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? Where is your country? And what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, there is no running or hiding. There is no place that your eyes do not see. There is no place that your mind cannot conceive of or know of. There is no inner part of anyone's mind or heart where they can hide thoughts from you, O Lord. Not one person, not one place can we hide from you. So let us learn now from this prophet, Lord, who heard your word, received a prophecy from you, but because of his sin, he rejected it and he ran. And Lord, as we'll see tonight, there is no running. There is no running from God. There is no hiding. There is no place to disappear from the will of the Lord. We ask this in your name. Amen. So Jonah is a prophet, and that's real. I mean, he is receiving actual prophecy from God, justifying his ability to be a prophet. And God says to him, hey, go to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh is a port city, and it's the capital way over there. It's not the capital of Babylon, but it's the way it's near there, and some think it is. And Babylon is a city of evil. Now, it's similar to what we would think of like Las Vegas, or New Orleans, we would think of somewhere like that. And Babylon is a city where not only great evil goes on, but they have rejected God. And look what God says. He tells him to go call out against it, for their evil has come up against him. Their evil has come up against him. So God's going to wipe out this city. But Jonah gets up and leaves. Now I ask you, why do you think Jonah, instead of simply going and preaching a simple message, a message that many people want to say, to cities and churches and groups of people. Everybody's always about condemning somebody or telling somebody God hates them and God's going to burn, you know, and, and he's going to destroy you. We hear that all the time from voices everywhere. But Jonah turns down this opportunity 
goes instead and flees. Now, Joppa there, the namesake of our church, is a port city, and it means beautiful. I don't know if you knew that, but it means beautiful because it was a beautiful port city, similar to, you know, pick a pick a beautiful port city, I don't know, whichever one you like. But it was a beautiful place, and he goes there, and he gets on a ship, and he flees. He thinks he's going to get away from God. How many times have we thought we could flee from the presence of God? Or have you ever felt that I've been running from God? I've turned from God. I know that God wants me to do a ministry. He's calling me to him to believe. He's calling to repent of my sin. But maybe there's some sins I'm not ready to get rid of, some things I'm not ready to lay down. And so instead we run from God. And if you've ever run from God, you'll know. Because when you run from God, God doesn't just catch you. God sends the whirlwind. Look at what the Bible says here. Verse 4, the Lord hurled a whirlwind. God did not just catch up with Jonah. He threw a hurricane at him. That's what God is doing. And God throws a hurricane as a sign to Jonah that, no, you're not going to flee to Tarshish. You are going to Nineveh to do my will. Can you imagine God getting your attention with a hurricane? He does. And then, of course, we know the story. The mariners, they're all on the ship. And notice that they each cried out to his own God. They all had different pagan gods there in the Mediterranean. They're all these sailor guys. And look what happens. They each call out to their own god. And the next verse, they hurled the cargo that was in the ship. So apparently those gods did not help whatsoever. Each one cried out to his own god, but the god did not answer, did not listen, did not give the men a break from the storm because they do not exist. And Jonah's in the boat asleep. I dare say to you, I'm almost wondering, was Jonah in the boat asleep because he was like, you know what? As we'll see later on in chapter 4, he's ready to die. He wants God to kill him by chapter 4. You don't think maybe he's just feeling a little bit like, go ahead and sink, boat. Go ahead and sink, boat. I don't care. I'm fleeing. I'm not following God's will. I don't want to do what God wants me to do. And he'd rather die. And then they cast lots. Now, we always think there's luck involved. We think that maybe I'm going to go to Las Vegas and I'm going to play the tables. I'm going to win a ton of money. But God controls even the turn of the stones that mark Jonah as the one for the reason of the storm. So God not only controls the hurricane, he throws a whirlwind, but he can cause the little stone to end up where he wants it. The marked stone ending up in Jonah's life. And look what Jonah says to them. I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven. And they're afraid. Why have you done this? These, these, these mariners are looking at Jonah, and they're like, if you knew that your God was capable of steering hurricanes, why would you ever get on a ship? Why would you ever run from him? Why would you ever disobey him? Why? Why would you do that? And he doesn't answer. And they say to him in verse 11, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? So the, the sea grew more and more tempestuous. That is to say, it is dangerous. And he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea and the sea will quiet down for you. So Jonah accepts that I need to die. Maybe now I just need to give my life. Just throw me into the sea, and I will drown, and I will sink to the depths, and I will die, and then the storm will cease for you. And they don't want to do it. Nevertheless, verse 13, the men row hard back to dry land. They're trying not to do it because they're thinking, man, this God controls hurricanes. If we kill his prophet, what's he going to do to us? So the whole story that we're seeing is man's attempt to, to get away, disrupt, distort, or change God's will. And what keeps happening? 
God's will doesn't change. God's will never changes. Jonah tries to get away, throws a hurricane at him. The men try to lighten the ship, doesn't work. They call out to other gods, doesn't work. They cast lots and find Jonah, and his solution doesn't work. So then they start rowing even harder, resting on their physical strength, and it still doesn't work. How hard have you worked trying to do it on your own? Right? How hard have we worked trying to accomplish spiritual things with physical effort? And it never works. It's never going to work. The only thing that works is submitting to God's will. The only thing that works is hearing the word of God say to you, arise and go somewhere you don't want to go. Exist someplace you don't want to exist. Listen to my command. And when we reject, we face the hurricane. But when we embrace God's will, as we'll see later on, a couple of weeks from now, when we embrace the will of God, the blessings and the peace and the mercy of God comes upon us. Verse 14, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. Lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it has pleased you. They pick up Jonah, they hurl him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. And the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Now, we don't focus a lot about these mariners a lot of times, but they went in one, almost, you know, one night, For however long this storm lasted, they went one storm believing in false gods, trying to do it on their own power. When they saw the power of God, when they saw the will of God, they made a sacrifice to God. And they vowed that they would follow this God of the Hebrews, this God of the prophet Jonah, whom they saw his prophecy came true. Toss me in the water, the storm will cease. They finally gave up, they finally threw him in, and the storm ceased. How many times? we finally give in to the Lord. We finally say, okay, Lord, I'm going to do what you want. I'm going to do it your way. We give in, and the storm that we are facing in our life stops. I think many of us are still in a storm. There's so many of us in our little rickety rowboat just rowing as hard as we can, just trying so hard just to get through it, trying to make another day, make another week, make another month, another year. Things will get better in a little while. The storm can't possibly last this long, Lord. Just keep rowing. That's not what God says. God says, let go. Let go of the oars. Let go. If you have to float, throw yourself out of the rowboat. Fall into the depths. Fall into the deep. Sink to the bottom. That's what it takes. Hit rock bottom. That's what it takes for you to obey God's will. Because what's more important? Showing off physical strength or obeying the will of God? What's more important, proving to yourself that you can make it through the storm by yourself or obeying the will of God? What is more important, what you want or what God wants? Students, I'm here to tell you today that it is always the Bible's position that what God wants is more important. There's never a time when what you and I want is more important. Even when God uh, does things for us, it is to bring us to his will, not leave us in our own. And of course, what happens? The most famous part of the Jonah account. The Lord appointed a great fish, not a whale. Okay, not a whale. Even though some scholars think it may have been uh, a sperm whale or even a whale shark. But the Bible says it was a great fish who swallows up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because chapter 2 next week is all the belly of the fish. 
But there's something I do want to say because I do have time. Whenever we think of Jonah, just, just in your mind right now, and you picture Jonah inside the belly of the fish, what do you think of? If you are imagining a cavern with a little lantern and Jonah's floating on like a plank of wood and he's praying to God, right? That's not Jonah. That's Pinocchio. <laughs> it really is. It's Pinocchio. It's not the story of Jonah. That's Pinocchio. Pinocchio's inside the giant cavern of a fish. Jonah is being squeezed through the digestive tract of a fish. I just had a bounce house for my daughter's birthday, and uh, it was a lot of fun. The girls had a lot of fun pushing me down the bounce house. But there was one moment where they were, they were trying to push me, and I actually slipped, and I fell, and I fell into the, like, the side of the bounce house, and I fell into it where the rubber just encompassed my face, right? And it was wet, and it was dirty because none of them washed their feet, so they just kept bringing in grass and dirt. And this stuff's going in my nose, and I'm like, where am I? I am in a world of hurt. And I'm fighting to get out of this. And then my eight-year-old comes landing in with her knees outward, right? Lands right on my neck. Ha, daddy, bam! <laughs> Driving me further into the rubber. Can't breathe. I'm about to give up. I'm like, that's it. I'm done. I'm dead. It was a good run while it lasted 30 years, and he died on a bounce house. Like, he really, <laughs> he died how he lived, right? <laughs> That's not the story of Jonah. That's Pinocchio. Jonah is being squeezed to death with the smell of rotten fish. Not just going into his nose, but filling every pore of his body. That's where Jonah is. And that's where we're going to leave Jonah until next week. So if you've never heard the story of Jonah, cliffhanger, got to come back next week and find out. Or you could read your Bibles. <laughs> but a couple of points I want to make. Number one, you cannot run far enough. There is no place you can hide from God's will. There is nowhere you can go where God will not see. Psalm 139 verse 7 says this, Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in death, in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even your hand shall lead. There is nowhere to escape the voice of God. There is nowhere to run from God's will. And student, and adults, if you find yourself in a place where you know God wants you to obey his will, but you are running, you are trying to escape, you are trying to do your own will instead, for whatever reason, know this, it will not last. God will send even the hurricane to set you straight. And you know what? You better be thankful for the hurricane. I'm thankful for the storms. I'm thankful for the hurricane because to have a nice, easy, wonderful sailboat of a life with never any trouble, with never any storms, means that I'm not really in the will of God yet. The enemy doesn't fight their own. They fight the Lord's people. And if the enemy of God never fights with you, you've got to ask yourself why. You've got to ask yourself why. Point number two I'd like to make to you. Lots reveal. So Jonah pulled the lot out, and it revealed his sin. It revealed his disobedience. James chapter 4, verse 13 says this, Come now, you who say, to, today or tomorrow we will go into town and make a profit. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time, and then it vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if God wills, we will live and do and work. If God wills. Students, you've got to face the reality. 
that to be a Christian and to be Christian-minded and to declare that I'm a Christian and I go to church is to declare that I obey the will of God over my own. And if it's not practiced in your life, we're going to see it. We're even going to call you out on it. In fact, there are some times that I don't call you out on things because you and I both already know. We already know where we're at. And so I keep on preaching the gospel and you keep on coming. And we'll see what God does. Right, students? Yes, I think so. Point number three, the depth of correction for you might be very deep. This great fish was possibly a mammal. Uh, could be a whale shark. Whale sharks have been known to swallow men who were later found alive in the stomach of the whale shark and cut out in the Mediterranean Sea. So we have a historical precedent for men who have literally been swallowed by a whale shark, existed in the fish, and then later they caught the fish, cut it open, and got the guy out, and he lived. He lived. Yes, true story. So there is no problem with science here. How could a fish do that? How could you only survive? There's no problem there. Happens. It's happened a lot, actually. <laughs> But the depth of correction for you might be this. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11 says, My son, my child, do not despise the Lord's correction for you or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord corrects him whom he loves as a father, and the son he corrects is the one he delights. Correction is good. A hurricane from God to turn you is good. Even God casting you into the depths of despair is good because God corrects those who he loves. If you never feel the correction of God, if you never feel the tug of God at your heart, if you never feel the will of God pulling you away from sin and toward his will, then you have the most to fear. Because what you have to fear is judgment at the final lake of fire. That's what you have to fear. But the one whom God corrects they only have to fear mistakes made on earth. They don't have to fear eternity. In fact, they know. They know that in my prayers, when I pray to God, I do not say, oh, Lord, thank you for making me so wonderful and bright and smart and perfect. No, the true children of God say, Lord, you know how bad I am. You know my sin. You know what I've done. I stand before you unworthy, unable. But you still love me. You still forgive me. You still let me partake of the mercy and for that I am thankful students that's what you do we who fear God should not fear correction for God corrects whom he loves and that's what I want for you today that's what I want for you tonight don't fear that don't fear the hurricane and even if it drives you under and sends you to the deep cry out to the God who controls that hurricane controls the ocean controls you Guys, this is real for me. We've all lost people. Right now we're seeing another surge in this pandemic. We don't know when the end's going to be. This is real life. It's time to stop hurting. It's time to stop acting like it doesn't matter. What really matters is that we obey God. We worship Him and we keep His commandments. That is what so I ask you again, if you would, if you are uncorrected and have no interest in the will of God, I encourage you to turn right now. Turn from sin. Repent. Put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a hymn. 
That's what you do. That's what you do. Let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, once again, I thank you for these young people, Lord. And, and we, we pray, Lord, for those who are sick tonight, for those who are quarantined, and, and some even for our safety, Lord, who are not sick but have been exposed and so have stayed at home. We ask you a special blessing for them, Lord. It's a very difficult thing to not even be sick, but to be staying at home. Lord, but for those who are able to be here tonight, I ask your blessing. I ask peace upon them. Lord, turn us all to your will. If it's going to take a mighty wind, a mighty hurricane to correct us, send it. But for those in here, Lord, who fear the storm, not because they fear correction, but because they're, they fear inconvenience. Lord, I ask you to save them. For the lake of fire will be truly inconvenient. And it will be that way for all eternity. So Lord, once again, send your spirit upon us. Let us enjoy the mercy and grace of your son. Let us worship you 